Hello Life Changers, thank you so much for joining us. We have got an amazing word for you, so why don't you lean in, grab a notebook and pen, and get ready for what God has to say to you today. It's lovely to be at church today. My name is Gabe Phillips. If we have not met, and I get to be one of the pastors at this amazing church called Life Changes, I'm a little bit biased, the best church in the world. Anyone agree with me? Anyone? I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Amazing. And I'm also married to a beautiful lady called Fiona. We've got two little munchkins, five and three, Olivia and Benjamin, and uh, God has been very gracious to us. But I want to take your attention to a story that happened 15 years ago in my life. The year was 2007, and uh, I was a student with a friend called Richard Gordon. We were both scrawny students who were, uh, we, we just came alive. Whenever we heard a word, uh, the word special or free, we were there, students. We were just ready to go. And there was this one weekend that came across our, our lives where we received a phone call because we were at a church called the Church of the Good Shepherd. And there was another church down the road called Glenridge. And Glenridge had organized a VW Combi to go from Durban up to Pretoria for a weekend for the Passion Conference. And uh, Louis Giglio was coming out from America. And he was bringing Chris Tomlin, Matt Redmond, all the heavy hitters were coming. And we got this phone call saying, listen, we filled the combi, but two people have dropped out. There's two spaces, and we were listening, we we're listening, we we're waiting for those words, and they said, and they're, the, it's been fully paid for, it's a free trip. We're like, we're in. You don't even have to tell us where we're going. Food covered, we're in. Count us in. And uh, we signed up for this weekend where we just jumped in with these 10 other strangers, filled this, this combi, and went from, from Durban all the way up to Pretoria. But I want to tell you, this was no ordinary weekend. This was no uh, just ordinary uh, drive up the N3, people. No, no, no. God was at work in, in mysterious and miraculous ways. Yeah. I want to tell you, in the, one reason why was in that combi was a girl called Libby Quinlan, who would end up marrying my friend Richard, and she would become Richard, uh, Richard and Libby Gordon. And the two of them now now pastoring a church, uh, uh, quite a sizable church in America, and they're, they're God is just using them in influential and miraculous ways. And this story all began with uh, them over Patkos on the way up the N3. Yep. <laughs> miracles, people. Let me tell you, the plot thickens even more because in that same van, the same combi, was a couple who were dating at the time, Michelle Stewart and Clint Erlank. They would get married. They would become Mr. and Mrs. Erlank. They would end up pastoring a church together. But what's more on a more personal level, Michelle Stewart, nee Michelle Erlank, or whichever way that works, um, she, she would end up uh, years later receiving a phone call from me as I asked her because she was a jeweler to make the engagement ring for who, Fiona Rollstone, who would become my wife. Sure. Stuff was happening in this combi, people. Yeah. The plot thickens even more because the, the incredible narrative of the story was the fact that the, 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 the incredible story of that ring, that ring was paid for years later, not just by my bank account when there was a bit of a shortfall and I didn't know what to do. A man named Rory Dyer, who was the pastor of the church Glenridge at the time, he paid for that reading wing, ring that I gave to Michelle Erlank, who gave me the ring back to me. <laughs> Try and keep up with me, people. <laughs> But the amazing thing was actually Rory Dyer at that stage was the man unbeknown to me who was paying for the petrol, the accommodation, the food that got us from Durban all the way to, Pet uh, to Pretoria. Sure. The plot thickens even more because that man Rory Dyer years later would move up to Pretoria and pastor that church uh, that we went and stayed with and were hosted with. And the people that hosted us there on that weekend were a couple called Jeff and Jane Kirsten who years later, underneath the leadership of Rory Dyer, would go and plant a church in Lisbon and have become some of our greatest friends in ministry. The plot thickens even more because let me tell you, that phone call that I received saying, hey Gabe, we've got two spaces in the car was from an elder at Glenridge at the time named Mark Van Pletsen. 
who years later, 15 years later, if you don't know, is one of the pastors here at Life Changes, and we, would, we did, had no clue at that moment that we would end up in a city called Cape Town, pastoring, yes, the best church in the world. Come on. Yeah. The plot thickens, people. Amen. My thesis this morning, my theory this morning that I want to present to you is that I want to remind us and convince us that God is at work even when we don't see it. I want to tell you that God is doing more than first meets the eye. Yeah. I want to even press even further. I believe that God is at work even in the midst of our defeats, our disqualifications, our disappointments. Even when we think He is totally absent, I want to tell you that the plot thickens. Yeah. Heaven is still at work. Yeah. So this is what I want to remind us today, that actually I really believe that even in the midst of this moment, here and now, that actually you're not here just by coincidence, you're not here just by a natural invitation, you're not here just because the calendar opened up and you're like, oh, I'll go to church today. I believe that as you have found your seat here today and you're sitting under the, the word of God preached, I believe in this moment, as you respond in faith, heaven leans in and leans into your story, whether it's in disrepair or maybe you feel on the mountaintop, I want to tell you, heaven leans in right now and says, the plot thickens Come on. just for being here today. So I want you to tell the person next to you, why don't you tell them with such courage, say, I prayed all week that I'll sit next to somebody like you. Tell them that, even if it's a half-truth. Now turn to the person that you ignored, that you betrayed, that you said nothing to, and tell them, don't worry, here's the title of the sermon, The Plot Thickens. Come on, people. The Plot Thickens. The Plot Thickens. Don't worry. (laughs) Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this room. I thank you for faith here. I thank you as we preach your word that dead things come alive. I thank you that broken things will be made whole. I thank you, Father, that hard things will become soft and in your hands, Father God, pliable for the future you have for them. I thank you, Father, that lost things will be found. I thank you, Jesus, you are doing more than meets the eye as the plot thickens. I also thank you, Father God, that you will forgive those Springboks for the loss yesterday. (laughs) And I thank you, Father, that you would comfort those who mourn, the Manchester United fans who find themselves in last place. Do a miracle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. That was just for a few people in the front row. Bless you all. Bless you. Today, I want to take us to Scripture and to uh, a duo, a famous duo in Scripture, a, a brother and brother combo, Esau and Jacob. And I want to start there and take us on a bit of a journey, but I, I love Esau. Esau is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Why? Because when I read about him, it says this, Esau, comma, a red and hairy man. And need I say any more? I tell you, I, we're not supposed to read ourselves into Scripture, but when we read that, I'm like, God, you're speaking to me. Must be, must be. But I, I, I'm not here to actually talk about Esau today. I want to talk about his younger brother, Jacob. And Jacob was the younger brother, not by years, but by mere seconds, because they were twins. But Jacob was the second born. And now for you, you may go, oh, they're twins. Those, those few seconds between the first and the second might not seem like big, but, but actually for the, the Jewish culture of the day, this was of huge significance. Because there was something in play called the law of primogeniture, which means that the father of a family would give as inheritance the fullness of the estate, financial, emotional, relational, societal, would go from the father to the firstborn alone. The second, third, fourth, fifth boards would have to fight for the scraps behind him. So Esau was in line to receive the fullness of Isaac that Isaac was going to give. But Jacob didn't like this deal. He was a schemer. He was a slime ball. He was a, he was a sleazy guy. He was a guy that if he was alive today, he would be appearing on your screens at the Netflix show, The Tinder Swindler. That's the type of guy <laughs> Jacob is. Jacob is that con artist. His name literally means deceiver. 
heel grabber, someone who's always working, pulling himself up, trying to give himself credit for something he didn't do, trying to push himself to the front of the queue, someone who's trying to get into your selfie when you don't want them there. They're just like that guy, always just <laughs> pulling in. Jacob was that type of guy. And he lived his whole life with that as his modus operandi, and it reached its zenith, its height. When the moment his dad, Isaac, was about to die, and he was about to bestow the blessing upon Esau. Isaac was losing his sight, he was doddery, he was old, but the moment had come for him to, to pass on the father's blessing to Esau, but Jacob didn't like this. And as Esau stepped out to prepare the last meal for his father, Jacob sl slips in, puts on his brother's clothes, puts on his brother's cologne, and dresses up like his elder brother Esau, he slips in there, and the father says, is this you Esau? And Jacob goes, yep, it's me. And the father goes and blesses the wrong son. The illegitimate son gets blessed. The, what, the con artist, the schemer, the liar, the heel grabber, the deceiver gets the fullness of the blessing at the expense of the elder brother. Sure. Now when you read the story, the, fir the first question I ask is, what can I learn from this narrative? <laughs> Here's the answer for you, nothing. <laughs> nothing on the surface level. But let me suggest that there's more going on than meets the eye. Yeah. And I want to tell you, the plot thickens because what happens subsequently from that moment Esau vows that he's going to kill his younger brother and, 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 and a Tom and Jerry narrative that of, of, of note happens is just chasing one off the other across the hillside and the countryside of, of Israel carries on for the next number of years as Jacob hides and, and dodges and dives his brother Esau until he runs into God himself and he has this encounter with God, wrestles with an angel when in Genesis 32 we're told that God eventually says to Jacob, Jacob I'm going to change your name now. He says, I'm changing your name from deceiver, from heel grabber, I'm changing it to Israel, which means God fights. For too long, you have fought for yourself. You try to fight for your rights, fight for opportunities, fight for ability to make it through, fight for your right to party. That's for the 90s people. But in this moment, he's saying, no, no, I want to tell you that I am going to fight for you now. I'm going to fight. The narrative of your life is going to change. And this is what happens next from this God encounter things start to change. More than meets the eye happens and the plot thickens as re uh, re relational reconciliation happens between uh, Jacob and Esau. And then we get to Genesis 33. These two verses tucked in there that, I, that we would skip over, but I want to zoom in and highlight for you today. Genesis 33, verse 18 to 19. It reads as follows. Later, having traveled all the way from Paddan Aram, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. The plot thickens. Follow me in this narrative. We go to a flick a few pages. We get to the end of the book of Genesis. Many years have passed, and Jacob, or Israel himself, has had multiple children. One of whom is one of the youngest, Joseph. And Joseph is a guy who's got a dream. He's a man who, who she's not in line for the blessing as the, the law of primogeniture. He's not at the first of the queue. He's actually right at the bottom, but he's got a little bit of desires from like his father, uh, high aspirations for his, the station in life. And he's got these dreams and visions of what, what maybe God would do in his life. But from the dream all the way to for, throughout his life, it's just one misfortune after another. He was literally betrayed by his brothers, his brothers who hated him, who left him for dead, who sold him to slave traders. He finds himself in the employ of an Egyptian in a foreign land and then gets falsely accused and then gets imprisoned and at every level just feels like God has abandoned him and his dream. Feels like he's been dropped. Feels like he's been disqualified. Feels battered, bruised and beaten. And he finds himself in a prison cell in a foreign nation at the back end of the world feeling God is as far away as I could imagine. But I want to tell you at this moment, I believe heaven leans in again and says, the plot thickens. 
Because God is always at work even when we don't see it. God is even at work in the midst of our disqualifications. In the midst of the detours and the delays and the broken promises, God is still at work. And we find these two guys that come into prison with them are members of the, uh, people who worked for the, the royal palace, for the pharaoh. And they were in prison for an offense and they both had dreams. And I can imagine, I would have, if I was Joseph, I'd say, Lee, take your dreams away from me. My dreams have not come true. I'm not going to talk to you about your dreams. But something goes on in his heart and Joseph starts to interpret their dreams and their dreams come to pass. And years later, he is remembered when years later, the pharaoh himself has a dream and says, is there anyone who can interpret this dream? And somebody remembers, there's somebody in prison. And they call Joseph out of this prison. This prisoner comes out, interprets Pharaoh's dream. And then a miracle after miracle happens as the threads of his life are starting to pull together by Almighty God who is always at work even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't understand it. He's always at work pulling the threads together in your life. Joseph gets authority in a foreign land and stands next to Pharaoh and presides over the social welfare feeding scheme of the nation and the nations around them because famine hits the land. And Joseph is now the main man in that area. Mm. Only God can be doing this. Can I tell you, the plot thickens even further as his brothers who thought he is dead come back to Joseph with cap in hand, as one would say, and they're coming to try and find out if they could benefit somehow from this foreign nation's economic plan and strategy. And they come face to face with Joseph, who they don't recognize at first. But God starts to weave, and as Joseph eventually reveals himself, saying, I am your brother that you try to kill. And they are terrified. And Joseph says these words. says, what you and man plan for harm, God always intended for good. Yeah. I want to tell you, the plot thickens. Because God is always at work, even if we don't see it. But let me tell you, the plot thickens even more as Jacob, the now, who's now playing the role of Isaac, the old senile father, comes to give the blessing on his sons in a foreign land. And he arrives at Joseph in this moment before he dies. He comes to Joseph and says, I want to bless you, the runaway, the reject, the one who's been forgotten. I want to bless you and, and I want to bless your sons. So Joseph comes in this moment when he realizes he's going to get a blessing that maybe he doesn't even deserve. He comes to his father and he brings Manasseh and Ephraim, his two sons. Now Manasseh is the oldest and the one who will deserve the father's blessing. That's the line they would go to if it goes to anyone. So he brings Manasseh and he places Manasseh by the father's right hand, by Jacob's right hand of blessing. And he puts Ephraim here on his left. And this is what the moment he said, you're going to pray the blessing of the firstborn and what's left over, give it to Ephraim. That's great. But just as the moment comes, crescendo upon crescendo, Jacob crosses his hands and puts his right hand of blessing on the youngest and his left hand on the oldest. Joseph said, no, 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 Father, Dad. Oh, shame, Dad's losing it. No, 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 come on, Dad. Wrong hands, wrong boy. This is the eldest. This is the lesser. This is the second born. And Jacob goes, no, no, no mistake. And he recrosses his hand. And in that moment, he blesses and puts a pattern in place. He blesses the illegitimate. I've seen this movie before. Yep. Just rewind a generation. And Jacob, the illegitimate, was getting blessed. And now a generation later, then the eldest is now being, not, being looked over. And the illegitimate second born is getting blessed. It's radical. And actually, one step further of blessing happens in Genesis chapter 48, verse 21 to 22, which I love us to read. It says this, Then Jacob said to Joseph, Look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. And beyond what I've given your brothers, I am giving you an extra plot of land that took from the Amorites. The plot thickens. The plot thickens even more when you realize this is the same plot of land that popped up in Genesis 33. Now pops up again in Genesis 48. The plot thickens. God is doing more than yep. first meets the eye. Come on. 
fast forward with me all the way to the New Testament. We find a narrative of a man named Jesus. Jesus arrives on the scene. And he, he's, he's now healing people. He's, he's teaching. He's showing miracles. There's incredible crescendo to his ministry happening. But if you get to a chapter called chapter 4 in John's Gospel, where it tells us that Jesus goes to an area and to a woman called the Samaritan woman. Now, before we read that text, I want to tell us the context of this engagement with the Samaritan woman is scandalous because Jews and Samaritans did not mix. They fought. They were antagonistic to each other. They hated each other. The Israelites saw themselves as the true firstborns of the Father of, the, of God. They felt like they were the true lineage of God. Samaritans were those on the sides, on the outskirts. And they had many other skirmishes, many reasons for betrayal. And the Samaritans, Israelites, were always the loggerheads, always fighting. But actually, you can one of the reasons you can trace their hatred is that actually Samaritans come from, if you reverse, reverse all the way back, Samaritans come back from the line of Manasseh and Ephraim. Not the typical line that Jews and Israelites find themselves from. So this is one of the reasons it's all set up and they had loggerheads. And when Jesus goes to Samaria, that is scandalous alone. Then he goes and meets a Samaritan woman. And a woman who's not just a Samaritan, but she's also an outcast of her own people. She's a lady who's debauched. She's had five husbands. And the sixth one she's living with now is not even her husband. She's just given up on that whole marriage thing. She's at the well the middle of the day, disqualified. She doesn't want anybody else to see her. She's hiding. She's ducking. She's diving. She's trying to make a plan for her own existence. And this is the reality that Jesus comes to her. Now, I want to tell you, let's read it together. John chapter 4 says this. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Pause. Geographically, that is false. Jesus geographically did not have to go through Samaria. Samaria, if you look at the map, is not the optimal direction that he needs to go. There's another way that would have been much quicker, much more succinct, and got him to where he's going. So when it says he had to go through Samaria, it's not saying geographically he had to. I think divinely led, he had to go through Samaria. There was a bigger purpose. God is doing more than first meets the eye. And we see in this narrative, it says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. And that word Sychar, before we move on, that word Sychar means the end. Literally means the end. So Jesus gets to a place that is the end. It's, it's the furthest place he can go. And a town that is literally named the end. He meets a woman who's reached the end of her existence, yeah. the end of her abilities, the end of her story. And Jesus says, I'm not coming to a place where you're at the top of the ladder. I'm coming to where you find yourself at the end. Yeah. I'm going to meet you there. But this is where the scripture gets good. Are you guys ready for this? Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Sit up in your seat. Sit up in your seat. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? This is what it says. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Let's read the next line. It says this, near the plot of land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Three times in scripture, the plot of land that Jacob bought appears. Genesis 33, Genesis 48, and now here, many years later, in John chapter 4. When Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, the first Gentile to be, to be invited into the kingdom of God, the first Gentile, let me say when I say Gentile, us, yeah. Yeah. us, the plot thickens people. Let me tell you, God is doing more than first meets the eye. This is huge. When Jacob bought that plot of land amidst his disqualification, his disappointment, his defeat, did he have any clue that he was stepping into heaven's agenda? Did he have any clue that little wise he put the shekels down in that moment, in that purchase, in that one step of obedience, did he know that he was setting up generational blessing that will go long beyond what he could have imagined? I don't think so, but I can tell you, as he put those shekels in the ground, they, they didn't accept Bitcoin in those days. But as they put shekels there and he bought that plot of land, I believe all of heaven lent in and said, the plot thickens. Because God had something in mind. 
that was greater than first met the eye. Let me suggest that I bring this into close today and maybe Mr. Phillips can start playing on the keys. <laughs> Let me tell you the incredible thing is I want to suggest today one baptism, what can God be doing with that? One moment and one decision, what could God be doing with that? One invitation to invite a friend to join you at church that you think is just a, a quick SMS, a quick phone call. Could that just be a purchasing of a plot of land that God says, watch what I'll do Come with on, this? Yep. Could one moment of forgiveness when you feel like I don't want to give it, I feel I don't, he doesn't deserve it, she doesn't deserve it, but maybe that forgiveness, what will that change? I'll change nothing. Maybe it could just be a plot of land. Yeah. That God is saying, watch what I'll do with this. Yeah. Could one moment of surrender, of confession, of trust, can I be as bold as I pull this metaphor together? Could in this moment I invite you to step into a divine combi? Yeah. Yeah. A combi that you do not know maybe where it's going. You don't know the destination, but God is saying, I'm going to put you in there with stories, with situations that are going to so change your life. But not only that, will change destinies and directions for eternity. Will you trust me? Will you trust me when you feel that you've got nothing left and you've been disqualified? The plot thickens. When you feel like you've been dropped and you feel, where else do I go from here? Let me tell you, the plot thickens. When you feel like you're dead in the water and I'm saying, oh, what, what, who have I got for me? Everyone's against me. Look to heaven who says, the plot thickens. Will you trust me in these moments? Because God is always doing more than first meets the eye. Let's finish this by reminding our hearts. Jacob was the youngest, the illegitimate. And in that moment, the illegitimate son got blessed when the firstborn should have got blessed. Jacob gets blessed. Then we see Joseph and Manasseh and Ephraim, the illegitimates, the one who belonged down the line. And the father sees Manasseh and Ephraim and he crosses his hands and he blesses. The wrong son, the illegitimate son gets the blessing. Then we see the Samaritan woman step into the story, one who's disqualified, illegitimate at every level. And his disciples say, what are you doing with her? And instead Jesus says, I did not just come for you, I came for them and I've come for the illegitimates, the ones who do not come count them, the outcasts, I've come to bless them and bring them into my story. And it meets its full, full finest the climax in this narrative is we see Jesus on the cross the firstborn of all creation the firstborn among the dead the only begotten of son of the father as his son the the legitimate son so hung on the cross in that moment I believe heaven did this the father looked at his son and he looked at us outcasts rebels people who've dropped it who were so disqualified the illegitimate of the illegitimate you and me and the father crossed his hands he crossed his hands In that moment, he put on Jesus the full weight of the curse and he put on us the full weight of the blessing, the inheritance that we do not deserve, that we did not earn. But he said, I have come to bless the outcasts because I'm doing more than first meets the eye. Can we stand to our feet? I want to tell you one last story. The plot thickens. Over five decades ago, a man, a young man in his early 20s came to do his honors degree here in Cape Town. And when he arrived to do his degree, the dream in his head, the idea was that he was going to get his degree. He was then going to go back to Zimbabwe, go back there, and he's going to build a house, a a white picket fence life. He was going to raise the 2.5 kids with the dog on the side. The normal existence, keep it here, keep it here, keep it here, as Trevor Noah would say. But in his heart, that was the extreme notion of what he thought was going on. But let me say again, God is always at work when you don't see it. He reached his end. He reached his sikkah, his place where he thought, there's nowhere else I can go. On the outside, everything looked good, but on the inside, he was dead, dying, done. And one day, he reached out to the only people he knew who were Christians in the city, and he drove in a beat-up car through the rain to the southern suburbs, sat with a lady called Gabby and her husband, and he said to him, what do I do? 
And in a stumbling way, they shared the good news of Jesus. And this man gave his life to Jesus, surrendered with tears and reality, thinking this was a big moment, a big moment for him, but maybe that would be the end of it. Let me tell you, that was not the end of it because that man returned to Zimbabwe and he had children. And let me tell you, those, that man's name was Rowan Phillips, my dad. And let me tell you what is so huge about that is that man put a stake in the ground and made a faith decision for Jesus. Little did he know that generation later, his youngest son would come to Cape Town to preach the gospel, to come and plant churches. And this is the narrative. When we planted Life Changes City and we had people then, it was so exciting a couple of years ago, a church in the city, I looked to my left and do you know who was sitting in one of the rows on my left? Was an older lady called Gabby who had led my dad to the Lord five decades earlier. And we got her to stand up and we said, Gabby, let me tell you, if it wasn't for you, none of this would have been possible. Let me tell you today, God is doing more than first meets the eye. Maybe you just see natural. Maybe you see disqualification. Maybe you see depression. You see doubt. I want to tell you today, heaven leans in and says, the plot thickens. Why don't we raise our hand as we land this portion of the service? Lift your hands as high as you can. I believe right now as we lift our hands and surrender, we're surrendering our little, we're surrendering our doubt, we're surrendering our, the delays, the disqualification. We are surrendering and saying, we are legitimate, but Father, you are the one who blesses illegitimate things. Yeah. You're the one who pours out inheritance. When we trust you, Jesus, in Christ is the fullness of the blessing. Yeah. In Christ is the fullness of heaven's applause. In Christ is the fullness of inheritance and future. And Father, today, as heaven looks down in this moment and hands are lifted, I thank you right now, Father God, as decisions are made to trust you and you alone, to go all in on you. We hear the words of heaven say, the plot thickens. The enemy says divorce, but I hear the word, the plot thickens. The enemy says the word disqualified, but I hear the word, the plot thickens. You hear the word economic recession, I hear the word, the plot thickens. God has brought you here to this moment to encounter the Almighty God. Why don't we give God a shout of praise and give thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. You are so good, God. So good. So, so good. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.